All right, Alex, what do we talk about in today's episode? Everything, copywriting, messaging, empathy, puking in buckets as a high schooler, not me personally. Um, there's, I don't think there's anything we didn't talk about. I love it. So here's what I got. We talked about the biggest mistake you ever made, how you got fired from being a preschool teacher, which made you a copywriter. The biggest mistakes people make in copywriting. Are you being a supportive parent in writing your copy? Do you have the golden thread in your copy? Is your copy distracting your customer or progressing them? How thinking about a high school party with people puking in buckets will help your coffee. The three main beliefs everyone needs they everyone needs before they can buy from you. Your seven-step structure to craft the perfect copy quickly. And the three golden copywriting rules. Is that all of it? I like your way of saying that way better than mine. I should have been taking notes on my own podcast. It's all right. Well, we should just shut up and let people get into the show. So without further ado, Alex is on the show. Now let's cue the intro. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good, because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George show where I am up to some crazy antics today with our guest because he happens to be my copywriter, but he is the McMahon. He is the Alex McMahon. And his name is not spelt McMahon. It's spelt McMahon or M-C-M-A-H-O-N. And I think he tells people he pronounces it McMahon because he is the McMahon of copywriting. So Alex is my copywriter. He is the dude who takes my soul, my mind, and my heart and puts it into words that move you without allowing me to get in my own way. The master of storytelling, the master of words to move you towards where you want to go and help you use your words to help people go to where they want to go. So I'm going to shut up now and I'm going to bring Alex on the show. So Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, man. We had to give you a round of applause. So I'm going to kick off and you, you know, I don't know if you listen to my podcast. You might, you might not. You just work with me. But I got to ask you the same question I ask everybody else. When you look back at your life, your career and your business, and you've had it in the fitness world and copywriting and everything, what is the biggest mistake that you ever made? What was the lesson and the takeaway that you carry forward? That's a really great question. So the biggest mistake that I'd say that I ever made was trying to do it too long without having a mentor. Uh, in, in fitness, in copywriting, anything that I've ever done business-wise, the biggest thing that I've always found is that the fast track to getting to where I wanted to go was getting the blueprint from somebody else who had been there who could help me avoid the stupid mistakes that I would have made on my own and that I did make on my own and just literally paying them to help me kind of fast track where I wanted to go. Um, that's by and far one of the biggest things, you know, in fitness, I think I did it for three and a half years on my own. And it was just like throwing shit against the wall and seeing what stuck and not very much stuck. And then lo and behold, once I get a mentor, my business four X's. Then from there, exact same thing in copywriting and brand strategy as well. As soon as I decided to work with my um, writing coach and then you, of course, um, suddenly my business, you know, does better than it's ever done before. And I think that that is one of the big things is thinking that you have to go it alone thinking that uh, banging your head against the wall for years and just trying to out hustle things is a really poor strategy. And I think that getting a mentor, getting a coach, getting somebody who's been there and done it 
and can help you get there quicker is the best thing that you could do. And not doing it is the biggest mistake that I made for years. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. And I'm going to I'm gonna add some to that too, because I think what's really imperative is not only just a coach and a mentor, but a community, right? I think, and, and I'd love your thoughts on this too, because we, we've rolled in similar circles. Now we roll together. We do a lot of this work together. But it, I think the default a lot of the times is that like, oh, I have to do it alone or nobody can know or I'm only going to share my wins. And this is something we've talked about a lot. You know, we've, we've used the analogy with you that like we're going to make you a NASCAR driver. So stop trying to run little kindergarten go-karts, right? And in that analogy, yeah. though, like to be a NASCAR driver, to be a race car driver, there's an entire team around you, a silent team of people. And so, you know, for anybody listening to this, I, I know Alex really well. We do a lot of work together. And I, I think that's one of the most valid points I've heard on the podcast. And also, it's not always just about a coach or a mentor. It's about having that coach, mentor, guy, but also having that community and that team around that supports. And so, Alex, what I would love to hear, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit in what you were talking about, like you started in the fitness game, right? So you've been doing fitness, you've been mm -hmm. in that world, and now you're in the copywriting game, and you've interned with some of the best copywriters in the world. But how did you get into this? How did you end up Alex the McMahon that you are today and got to this point? Give us the overview. So uh, when I very first came out of college, I was actually a preschool teacher for five years. And so one of the common threads through being a preschool teacher and being responsible for taking care of like, you know, eight to 15 kids every day was I started to notice that some kids when they ate a certain way, there were negative impacts. And when certain kids would come in and their parents would have them on stricter diets, they would have better and worse days, depending on at lunch, whether they grabbed a sandwich from a kid or grabbed a dessert or something like that, there'd be a big difference between those two. And so for me, that was when the very first thing kind of, when the very first seed was put into my mind that, hey, nutrition is a really important part of this equation. And I had stuff that I dealt with my entire life. I had grown up with a number of learning disabilities. I had digestive issues. Um, I had ADD, all these different things that I could never really deal with and get resolution to. And so I started to see nutrition as a potential way for me to be able to solve my own issues. So I dove into nutrition, um, started to learn more and more about it, um, you know, started to teach what I learned as a nutrition coach to the kids that I was working with. And eventually there came a point in time where I had a really amazing group of women that I was working with as a teacher. And at that point in time, I was one of the co-teachers in the classroom. And uh, at that specific school, what happened was I was the last person hired. So I was the very first person out when they had to make budget cuts. And so um, I was being fired essentially as the co-teacher, but there was a full-time position being opened up. And my overall plan was to apply for it. And these women were amazing. They pulled me to the side. They go, Alex, listen, you're an amazing teacher. We love having you in the classroom. The parents love you. The kids love you. But let's be honest. Your heart is really in nutrition. This is what you're meant to do. This is what you're here on this earth to do. And take your shot. The worst thing that happens is you take your shot. You're not successful. And you end up back in teaching. But you don't want to be one of those people who's 50 years old who looks back and says, maybe I should have. And so that was kind of the kick in the ass that I needed to jump out into nutrition coaching. And so I did that for five years, I think. And there was an entire evolution that took place there where it was from just learning about nutrition to becoming a coach, to putting out blogs that probably only my mother read, to you know struggling and worrying about how I was gonna pay for rents and bills and going hungry nights and things along those lines. 
But along the way, I started to read more and more from people who just knew way more than me about building an actual business and not treating it as much like a hobby. So then I found one of my very first mentors, Jason Phillips. Um, I worked with him. And then I also had the bug put in my ear that email was a decent way to be able to um, communicate with people. So I was fortunate enough to be on the On It podcast a few different times. I gave an ebook that I wrote away for free. And suddenly my email list from went from like nothing to like 1,200 people. And so originally I would just send them pretty much mini blogs, never ask them to buy anything, never ask them to hop on a call or anything along those lines. And then once I heard about email marketing, I go, oh, well, I have people who are on my email list. I wonder what would happen if I started to send them a different kind of email. And then out of nowhere, I would start to send out, you know, one email and I'd get nine people applying for my coaching program. And then I would end up with something like seven or eight clients from one email. And so over time, what happened was my friends started to see me as somebody who was, you know, achieving a level of success with uh, kind of email marketing. So then they're like, well, what are you doing? Why is it working so well? So I started to help them out a little bit. And then through that all, what I started to realize is I didn't actually want to bring on other nutrition coaches. So my level, my business scaled up to a certain level. And the next logical step was to bring on coaches. However, I just didn't have a ton of interest in doing that. And at this time, I had started to recognize that I could stop trading my time for money and inside of copywriting, start trading results for money. You know, when I write for somebody, or when I write for myself, it doesn't matter if an email takes five hours or five minutes. People strictly care about the results. And so I saw that as a path forward to be able to still influence and help people with their overall, um, like I would run into people who I thought had an amazing product or had an amazing service that could truly change somebody's life. But the biggest thing is they would just get in their own way. So I eventually kind of made the transition to copywriting, but it wasn't something that took place overnight. Um, well, I was still in my own nutrition coaching business. I actually hired and worked with a, um, a copywriting coach. So he worked with me behind the scenes for about a year and a half. And then during this last year um, is really where I made the full-time jump into doing copywriting entirely for other people. Um, and so that is kind of the overall journey that I've been on. Um, and the funny thing is I don't talk about copywriting a ton um, on like social media or anything like that. So there's still probably a lot of people out there who are in my audience from different social media platforms who from time to time will hit me up and be like, hey, are you still doing nutrition coaching? And I haven't been doing it for well over a year at this point. So I love it. So I can sum that up as you got basically, they gave you the nice way of saying, I'm going to let you go. We know your heart's not in this, Alex. So from fired preschool teacher to nutrition coaching to copywriter by accident is the best journey ever. And I just have to say, all of us need a mom to read our blogs. We need that one person. All of us started with just that one person reading our blogs. I was a food blogger. I think I only had my Facebook friends reading my content for about 18 months. And I was like, why am I? Nope, just keep going. So I just want to acknowledge that everybody starts somewhere, Alex. And I'm glad that your mom was reading your blogs because she is your number one true starting fan. So you got to start somewhere. I love it. I love it. Okay, so now in that transition, we're not going to talk about fitness. We're not going to talk about coaching. We're going to talk about messaging. We're going to talk about copy. We're going to talk about story. And you uh, have a very beautiful way of articulating copy. I watch you teach people this. I watch you break it down. But I'm going to go right for the jugular right off the bat because I know there's some things that drive you absolutely nuts. And so what are the biggest mistakes that you see people making when it comes to quote-unquote copywriting in today's day and age? Like, What are some of those big mistakes and how can they avoid doing them to not shoot themselves in the foot and cause permanent damage? So one of the biggest things I would say is being clear on what the big idea is behind what you're writing. 
So a lot of the times people try to jam too many ideas into one piece of content that they're creating. So let's say an email or a social media post, they have three or four different big ideas. <clears throat> and what it does is actually ends up diluting their entire message. So the way to think about it is, if you think about a big idea for a piece of content is, how can I get this person to look at the problem or the solution to the problem just a little bit differently? It doesn't have to be massive. You're essentially just getting them to view the solution or the problem that they're dealing with a little bit differently and then giving them a new and better alternative. And that could be a different way of thinking. That could be a product. It could be an opt-in that you're trying to get them to. And so what happens is that way too many people try to talk about way too many things in one post. And so what happens is um, you can think about it like <clears throat> inside of your content, through each piece of content, there should be a golden thread. And each sentence in that piece of content should support that one big idea, right? But the issue is a lot of the times what happens is that people are the, the copywriter or the person who's creating the content, they pull the person's attention in way too many directions. So the person can't actually understand what it is that they want them to know. So that would be the very first thing. Um, the other aspect would be overly hypey copy. Um, the days of the one big thing that your doctor doesn't want you to know doesn't work anymore. It's because the entire market is far more sophisticated these days and they don't, um, they don't fall for that stuff anymore. So in, it's a you know, concept that you talk about a lot, George, where it's like it creates reactants. All, it, all you need is one, one instance where you're just way too hypey and it can repel an entire audience away from ever wanting to buy from you or from wanting to consume your content moving forward. And then I'd say probably the last thing is being too boring. This is the thing, way, way too often people talk about, oh, long copy doesn't convert, you know, XYZ doesn't convert. I've had emails that have been five pages long that have converted very well. The big thing is you just have to have the right melding of education and entertainment. You can't have it be super boring and expect people to read to the very bottom. And then probably something that kind of goes in alignment with that is people that try to be too aggressive in the copywriting that they write. You know, one of the big things is people want to feel like you are a supportive parent that is sitting on the same side of the table as them, kind of being like, listen, I get where you're at. I understand it sucks to be here. Um, I actually have a better path out. Let me show you this way. Whereas a lot of the times people think that by being super overly aggressive and being like, listen up, very in your face-ish, that they're going to like get people's attention to keep it. All they're doing is just creating reactants and pissing these people off and actually repelling them away from ever buying anything from them. So you're telling me that you can't emotionally abuse your customer and then expect them to convert? Is that is that along the right lines? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you know, I, I – but it's, it's so true. Like I talk about this reactance all the time. And if anybody wants a really good read on this, The Catalyst by Jonah Berger – breaks down reactants that book is amazing it breaks down reactants at a, at a whole nother level and you said by the way anybody listening to this i want you to rewind this and listen to that for five five minutes and i know you can't like literally rewind but you can digitally scrub backwards you know you know what i'm saying that was loaded with golden nuggets there but there's one in particular that i would love to unpack and it's about copy being boring right and you said this you said you have to educate and entertain right and so what are some of the things that you utilize or some of the tools or or ways that people can think about being entertaining and also educating and you know what comes up for me is i see a lot of people come to me with copy and what they're really doing is they're taking the label and they're pasting the label on social right they're like here here's your feature here's your feature here's your feature here's your feature 
I was like, no, no, that's copy and paste label. And one of the things you talk about all the time is like symptom based, right? But I think before we even get into symptom based, like what I would love to hear is like, how do you go about or what are some of the things that people can do to keep in their forethought or in their mind of like, hey, is this entertaining people? Is this educating people? Is this being too boring? Like, how do you go about that? So the very first thing that you can always think about that people love, and it's been the way that we've passed down knowledge since the very beginning of time, has been stories. So stories are great. Metaphors and analogies are also amazing because what it allows us to do is it allows us to essentially take something that somebody may not know about, like a concept that we're trying to teach them, and relate it back to something that they do know about, which is really, really powerful for people. So like just as an example, um, one time I was writing an email about food cravings and about how, you know, um, when you essentially make a food off limits, you, you want that food way more. And so the way that I described that is I was like, hey, it's just like the drinking age in Europe. You know, you go over to Europe, they can drink at the age of 18. They're not all kind of pissed drunk, passed out at a high school party. Whereas in the United States, you go to a high school party and everybody's passed out, hammered, thrown up in buckets and stuff like that. And so it's like, hey, and just just so you guys know, inside of my coaching, I take a more European approach and help you actually eat the foods that you like on a regular basis, but make sure it fits inside a part of your fat loss plan so that you can have the foods that you want, make it a sustainable plan and not feel like you're depriving yourself. And so I took something that somebody may not always be able to relate to and I wrapped it up in a little bit of a story and an analogy that essentially made it really easy for them to understand. Another thing to think about is that telling stories, but also telling your own story, I think can be really, really powerful. You know, a lot of the times that most people don't recognize is they always think of social proof as the client transformation that they've gotten for a client. But in reality, you telling your own story is one of the most powerful things that you can do because there's a really good likelihood that it actually makes you the guide that people want to follow. So there's three main beliefs that everybody needs to have before they can ever purchase from you. That is belief in you as the guide, belief in your method or system, and belief in themselves. And unless we overcome all three of those beliefs, nobody will ever actually buy from you. And so when you essentially open up and get raw and vulnerable and tell your story, you then become the right guide for them because you've been there and done that and you've returned with the elixir. You can say, hey, I went through the adversity so you didn't have to to actually develop this method and system. And this is how I know that it works. So then they have belief in your method or system. And then when you're able to essentially make that simple, that system super, super simple, it instills a ton of belief in people. So if somebody hasn't accomplished a goal, there's probably a really good likelihood that things feel complicated. They're confused. So if you take that complicated thing and you make it so simple that the person thinks in their brain, oh, I could do that. You've just allowed them to instill belief back in themselves because when they have something that's so simple in front of them that they think I can do that, suddenly they believe in their ability to be successful, likely after a long time of failing with it. So that would be one way is the stories, the metaphors and analogies are a great way to do it as well. And then the other aspect is to make sure that you are always rehooking the reader's attention. So what I mean by that is every, every single sentence in any piece of copywriting always has the exact same goal. It is to literally get the person to read the next sentence. That is it. So leaving open loops, not, not uncovering exactly what it is that you're talking about too soon. So one of the biggest mistakes that I see that a lot of people make is they talk about exactly what they're going to be describing in the post, either in the headline or first thing in the body copy. 
And so then the person looks at it and they go, oh, well, I already know about that. Why do I need to read the rest of the post? So what I always think about is how can I drag their attention down this post as far as I possibly can while keeping them interested, while talking about symptoms, while teasing it what it is until I actually disclose where it is and then have the call to action below it. And I think that that's a really powerful thing that people can do is don't let them know exactly what it is that you're talking about right away because there's something that happens in people's brains where if they think that they know what you're gonna say or they think that they know what your angle is on this, they don't have any reason to read the rest of the post. And so those are the main things that I would say using stories, using client transformations and success stories, using your own success story and your own story of yourself, using stories for other things that are happening to you on a daily basis, using metaphors and analogies. And then I would say also burying the lead so that they don't think that they know exactly what it is that you're talking about. And they have to read to the bottom of the post to actually close the loop in their brain of what it is that you're talking about. Yeah, I I absolutely love it. And just for the record, I've never been to a high school party, so I don't know what that's like, but I still <laughs> got got the analogy. And here's what's funny is you said that and you're talking about hooks <coughs> and I'm writing this. I'm taking notes over here as I'm, I'm listening to you because I learned so much listening to you and you're talking about hooks and headlines. And I was like, okay, I already have a title for this episode. How thinking about a high school party with people puking in buckets will help your copy. Like it's legit. I think I might go with that one. Like, is that a good one, Alex? I don't know. I think we could rework it to be a little bit better. It can be It can be summed up, but I was like, I think the gist of it there, there's probably something there. I'll come up with a better one, though. But um, when you <laughs> – it's, it's really funny when you actually talk through this stuff. You know, when you were speaking, one of the things that I, I kept envisioning was, like, when I talk to people in, in person, like when I sit in front of people and, you know, copy follows a lot of those same patterns. I was like, how's your day? They don't want you to be like, blah, blah, blah. They want – the context. They want the story. They want everything that comes around it, right? The best keynoters in the world, the best speakers, the best videos we watch, all of those things are all built around good copy structure. But my question around this is when we talk about stories and metaphors, you said this, but I think it needs some unpacking where like the whole point of the line is to get somebody to the next line. And I know one of my challenges is I like to overtell stories, right? Like I like to push yeah. the boundary where I've given the minimum effective dose needed to keep somebody enrolled. And then I go 25 times further until I push them away. So how do you find, or how do you look at copy or think about copy or think about story so that the story is the minimum effective dose that allows the reader to keep going, but also not overextending it or underextending it, right? Because there's authenticity, there's intimacy. You're like, hey, I really didn't need to know about the puke in the bucket, like high school party would have done it for me, or, you know, like that wasn't enough. Like, how do you go about navigating that? Because like, for me, what it feels like is that I'm like, oh, but what part of that story? Or is it too much? Or is it too little? I'm like, okay, I, like for me, example, right? Like it took me five years to learn that not everybody wanted to hear every detail of my eating disorder or my sexual abuse. Me saying I struggled with bulimia and was abused was plenty to get their attention, right? But I would go five minutes in these diatribes and these long written out stuff. So how do you find or how do you recommend that people find that harmony or balance to make the stories effective, to make the analogies effective, to make their copy effective so that they feel expressed, but they're also engaging their reader. I would say it all starts with knowing where your ideal audience kind of is. Um, so it, it's knowing what they've tried that hasn't worked. It's knowing 
how um, you know problems show up in their life. It's understanding what it is that they don't want to do. Because if you understand the symptoms that somebody's going through on a regular basis, if you understand what they've tried that hasn't worked, if you understand maybe the false beliefs that are holding them back from actually achieving that goal because they're just focusing on the right things, or if you understand what it is that your ideal client doesn't want to do to achieve this goal, then you know where inside of stories is the right area to focus and to kind of like end and have that lesson so that you can tie them all really well together. And George, I got to acknowledge you because I think that that's a really, really amazing question to ask because at the end of the day, a lot of the times people will make a story too short with, with not enough detail in it. So they don't actually pull the person. One of the things is whenever you're telling a story, you want to give enough space for the ideal person who's reading it to be able to see themselves in that story. That's one of the things is that a lot of people, when they're reading a story, especially when they're reading any kind of client success story, you want to make sure that you are allowing that person the space to be able to see themselves in that person's story. Did they start off at the same area? Were they dealing with the same symptoms? Did they try the same things that didn't work for them? Did they have the same false beliefs? Do they hate doing hours of cardio and giving up carbs? You know, like all things that a lot of people end up having. So you want to make sure that you are essentially clear on what that person is dealing with in terms of what they don't want to do, um, what they currently are dealing with, the false beliefs that they have, and what they've tried that hasn't worked. And then you want to make sure that you're giving enough space so that person can see themselves in that story. But it's also enough so that when you get to the end of it, it kind of can wrap up tightly. One of the big things is that sometimes people cut a story off right at the end and it feels like you're like, oh, well, that's the worst cliffhanger ever because there's not even a cliff. Like you just literally ripped the rug out from underneath my feet. But then there's also people where they go on for ages and it's like, oh, well, actually the, the big idea that you wanted them to have is like this far up in the story, but you stopped 16 paragraphs below that instead. So it's just getting clear on where the big idea is that you want to lead that person to but also being clear on where that ideal reader and audience currently is and is struggling that you want to help them out of. Yeah, no, I love it. I think the best way I've heard you explain this to me before and to other people is that you're on Heaven Island. You have this other place that you are right now and they want to be and they're over on Hell Island. And your job isn't to build 100 bridges. It's to build that one bridge. But you have to know where they are. You have to have empathy in, and this is, I mean, we talk about this all the time in the business, right? And, um, you know, <laughs> Alex is amazing because we independently met, but we teach very similar concepts and need each other with the perfect Venn diagram overlap because we use the captain's assessment. We talk about, you know, their feelings externally, internally, and then their beliefs. And then it's like, where do we meet them? Like, where do we get them where they are to build that bridge over? And, and one of the most profound things that you just said for me um, and I forget this sometimes, even when I'm speaking or I'm on video or I'm on podcasts, is you have to give the person space to see themselves in the story. Like that's enrollment 101. Like that is a golden nugget. Like you might want to get that one tattooed. Like that one is a, a Alex, I'm the McMahon of copywriting forever. That is a golden nugget drop. Like I might buy you a golden microphone so you can drop that one at the event. I love that one. Um, and, and it's really powerful for me. And, and I want to unpack one thing, though, because I, I think I, I've heard you say it a few times and I want to make sure everybody gets it. What is a false belief? So a false belief is a current belief that the reader has about what's stopping them from achieving success, but it actually isn't that thing. Mm. So like, let's just use a common example. Um, 
so by them by them focusing on the wrong thing the reason that they actually aren't able to achieve success is because they're quite literally directing all their time and energy and attention into something that isn't actually what's holding them back and it's pulling them away from putting that energy attention and time into something that would actually move them closer to their goal so like let's say in fitness it could be genetics it could be your metabolism it could be that you're eating carbs past 7 p.m it could be that it's your age and that you think that each one of those is stopping you from losing body fat when in reality it's probably none of those unless you have some medical condition that you've already spoken with your doctor about. Those are all a false belief that allows you to focus on something that you don't necessarily have a ton of control over and almost offload um, responsibility in some regards. So by thinking that it's your genetics, your metabolism, or your age, you're probably discounting the fact that you are eating late at night and raiding the cabinet or the at the office or that instead of having two tablespoons of peanut butter you have like six tablespoons of peanut butter and so because you're chalking it up to your genetics or your metabolism or your age which are all false beliefs you aren't focusing on the things that actually matter that are moving you closer towards achieving that goal mm. yeah no I, I got it and your audio cut out for a minute in the middle of it but it was it was examples of like snacking at the office and I feel like you were just judging me for my late night Justin's honey almond butter and enjoy life chocolate chip snacks but a little bit, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm still in a deficit. No, I'm still in a deficit. I'm good, and I go all natural. I'm using the phytic acid for the almonds to keep the pH balance of my stomach in check. Like I'm good. I got it. I got it. So when when we think about false beliefs, I think for me it's easy to see them in like fitness and in um, like weight and health. But on the business side. Um, you know, I want to give an example too. And I think Mike Michalowicz does this really well in his book, Fix This Next, right? The business hierarchy of needs, right? Where everyone's like, oh, well, like my business doesn't work because people aren't buying. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. but there's things that are underneath that, right? Like you're not talking to your customers. Like my emails aren't getting opened. My copy is off. And you're like, well, you haven't emailed them mm -hmm. for six months, right? And so when, when you think about um, false beliefs, now that everybody <clears throat> knows what a false belief is, is the purpose of knowing and empathizing with the false beliefs when writing your posts or telling your stories and the reader is reading it for them to be like, God, they get me. Oh my God, how did I know I was thinking that way? And also like breadcrumb them to like, wow, I thought that was the problem, but now I know that it's not because Alex broke that belief down. So now I have faith in Alex and the guide and he's going to introduce this system and then if I collect enough evidence or see myself in this story with the space that Alex gave me, then I'm going to have belief in myself. And then I pay Alex. I mean, you should pay me anyway, but that's just the whole other story. But um, <laughs> anyways, um, so a big part of it is, yes, it is. It is a part of almost um, it's almost like an offshoot of symptomatic messaging, which I know is something we'll probably talk about. Yep. Um, but so in, in many different regards, a false belief is almost you can think about um, if somebody has logic around what's stopping them from achieving a goal, and let's say that they're holding that logic in a, in a container that they're holding, right? So, and we get them to change the logic that they have around that problem, and we get them to now put new logic in a container that we're holding because we broke that false belief, it creates a bit of a... If, it creates an empty container that we can now put our logic in for them, right? So because we helped them break, because we helped them to break this false belief that was holding them back, and we gave them a new opportunity for success, 
by making it simple, by making it easy, by allowing them to put their time and energy and attention into things that will actually move them forward, suddenly, not only are we becoming much more of an authority, but we're building a massive amount of connection with them as well. Mm -hmm. So we don't just put ourselves as the guide, but we're allowing them to believe in themselves in many different regards too, because if somebody doesn't think it's their genetics and they don't think it's their metabolism and they don't think it's their age or whatever, then you can give them something that makes them feel much more empowered, right? And so um, one of the big reasons for it is definitely going back to what you're saying about like being able to see you as the guide, feeling heard, understood, seeing this person gets me. But it's also because when we break a false belief, it leaves an empty container that we can now put the logic that we want them to believe inside of to move them one step closer to becoming a customer of ours. Yeah, that... That just blew my mind for a minute. And I know this stuff, but like, I love the, the concept. Now I understand when, when basically we understand the customer and I'm just re-articulating this for myself. So just correct me if I'm here, but when we implore empathy and understand the customer, like really where they are and we can speak to that false belief, what we're really doing is deconstructing that belief to create space for us to insert a new belief or a new system or a new process or a new method, which will allow them to see it differently, tilt forward and enroll them into a different possibility. A hundred percent. Yeah. And one of the other really interesting things that it does too, is a lot of the times inside of that, we're able to give them a new opportunity for success because whenever you methodize or systemize anything, you can give them a new opportunity for success that they've, that they've never had before because they may have tried all these other things, but they've never tried this system. They never tried this method. And this method works because it has X, Y, Z, right? And so it, it creates a new opportunity for that person. And it allows us to insert whatever it is that we want them to move closer towards inside of that all as well. Mm. I love it. So now, now my brain's like, okay, we have an open loop for anybody listening to this. We're like, okay, cool. I got false beliefs, right? Like, where do I use those? And so what I would love, Alex, and I want to get into symptomatic messaging too, but I know that's a part of this answer. And so what I would love is yeah. I think the elements of effective copy are the same, whether it's a Facebook post, whether it's an email, whether it's a you know written letter, right? The, all the elements are pretty the same. So I know that false beliefs are part of it, but what are some of the other elements? Like if you were like, hey, this is how I write a Facebook post. Like if I'm gonna write a Facebook post and I'm gonna focus on this big idea, the golden thread, like these are the elements that I put in. So we can kind of give everybody like this checklist, this North Star of like, yep, got it, yep, got it, yep, got it. What are those elements? So I'll just break it down for you and give you guys like a step-by-step -step that makes it simple and easy to understand. So Let's go. very first you have the headline. So for inside of the headline, think of it like if you have a shitty headline, it's like having written the best book ever, but having a really crappy cover and name to the book. Like you could still have the best book ever, but nobody's ever going to know because they're not going to get past the cover. Your headline for any kind of email or for a Facebook post or for even a sales page is the exact same thing. So your headline is going to have to be strong. So there's two main elements to a headline that I think that people should 99.9% .9 of the time have in it. And that is um, a symptom around what it is that you're solving or the problem that the person's dealing with and curiosity. So one could be scale isn't budging. So right then and there, we aren't talking about the problem. The problem is the person is not losing weight. We're talking about the symptom of the problem. And that symptom is that the scale isn't budging. It's how that person not losing weight is showing up in their everyday life. Is it that the scale isn't budging? Is it that they over obsess about the amount of carbs that they're eating? 
Is it that they um, think it is their metabolism? Is it that they are having cravings every night, even though the scale isn't moving or that their clothes aren't fitting any looser or that they are beating themselves at the, up at the gym trying to do hours of cardio or that they're looking to supplements now or they follow the same diet because it worked in the past, but now it isn't working, right? So there's all these different things. It's how does this person not achieving what they want to achieve show up in their everyday life from the minute that they wake up to the minute that they go to sleep? And it can show up in a multitude of different ways. There's no one way to do it. So a really strong headline is typically going to include an element of symptomatic messaging, um, which is just how is this person not having this problem resolved in their life showing up? And then curiosity, right? And so when we combine those two, it's extremely powerful because when we talk about a symptom of what that person's dealing with on a regular basis, suddenly it pulls them in. They're like, oh, that's me. The scale isn't budging. How'd you know? Or my clothes aren't getting any looser. How did you know that about me? And it feels much more personalized. It feels like we're talking a few layers deeper than most people are willing to do. Most people just talk about the big problem. And you can really only talk about the big problem so many times before it becomes boring, before it becomes worn out, and before the people end up with what? Reactants. Because they know they think, they think that they know exactly what you're going to say. Then when you foster curiosity around that headline, suddenly we leave them with an open loop that their brain wants to be able to close, right? Mm -hmm. So we talk about a symptom of something that they're dealing with, and then we pair that with curiosity, and suddenly they go, oh, I have to, I have to keep reading, or I have to click on this email to figure out what it is. Next, we go into the hook. And the hook is really just a way in, in the way that I write personally of essentially reframing or re-saying the headline, but from a different angle. So it, let's just go with the example of like the scale not budging. Be like, and listen, I understand that you've given up eating carbs past 8 p.m. Um, you feel like it's your genetics, your metabolism, but what if it actually had nothing to do with any of those? And so suddenly the person's like, how'd you know? Okay, well now I have to keep reading because I've tried those things and they didn't help me to lose weight, right? And what are we doing? We are really just getting them to read the next line. Then from there, you have a basic opening. So the opening could be different based on what kind of post it is. Um, sometimes if it's a person who has a really good relationship with their audience, I'll be like, hey, Alex here with a quick, uh, with a quick idea I wanted to share about weight loss that could change how you lose and keep weight off forever. Okay, well, I want to know more about that. How do I lose weight and keep it off forever? Um, and there's also another element inside of that as well that I shared where it's I want to share a quick story. One big thing to keep in mind is that subconsciously, a lot of the times when people start to read anything from us, one of the things that they never think about that actually crops up is, is this going to be a threat on my time? Alex, coming that like, hold on. You're going to have to repeat that part. I don't know what happened to your headphones. All we got was it's going to be a threat on my time. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. Keep going. I don't edit these things. So I just wanted to stop you. Threat on our time. Now keep pulling that thread. So one of the big things is there. If somebody feels like something is going to be a threat to their time, if they think it's going to be a massive investment of their time, they will subconsciously zone out and stop reading. Right. So by sharing that it's a quick story or by sharing that I have a quick idea for you, it automatically overcomes that. Then from there, we go into the symptoms that we know that they want to avoid. It could be giving up carbs. It could be hours of cardio. It could be going to the gym six times per week and really diving into that and creating what I call a mind movie. So a mind movie is essentially 
if you were to take the idea of doing hours of cardio and to close your eyes and to think of a scene in a movie, what would it look like and what would it feel like? By creating a mind movie, you're also making it way more entertaining. You're making it something where the person can read it and immediately you're, you're essentially able to insert an exact scene into their brain. And if it's something that they are, are dealing with, if, if it's a symptom that we know that they are experiencing on a regular basis, they're gonna feel validated and heard and understood at a level that nobody else is putting out in their copy. They're gonna be like, holy shit, how they, how they read my mind and know that this is exactly what I'm dealing with. That's crazy. So then from there, you've, you've rehooked their attention. You've kept their attention all the way through. And then from there, you can transition into the kind of uh, area where you wanna start talking about either the story the metaphor or the analogy. So you tie that story metaphor or analogy into the symptoms that you were just talking about. And then on the very end of that story metaphor or analogy, you essentially give them the big idea. It's like, it could be something along the lines of, you know, when we were talking about the example before with, um, you know, food cravings and feeling like foods are off limits and the drinking age in Europe, to essentially be like, oh, and you know, um, I would bet that if you want to lose weight, and keep it off, you probably don't want to be having cravings all the time. Just like people who are high schoolers want to have the freedom to be able to drink in Europe if they want. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to take a more European approach to my own nutrition. So if that's something that you'd be interested in learning more about and learning how the clients that I work with are able to eat their favorite foods, lose more fat on a weekly basis and keep it off for the rest of life, go ahead and click below and let's have a chat about if you're a good fit for my program and figure out how I can best serve you. So what we can do is we take them through a symptomatic and curiosity-based headline. Then we drop them down into a hook that essentially reframes or just talks about that same um, angle from the headline, but from a different angle. Then we take them into a very short intro that gives them a bit of a teaser at what the rest of the post is going to be about. Then from there, um, depending on the post, you can go into like three or four different symptoms that all talk about how that person not accomplishing whatever it is that they're dealing with shows up in their everyday life. Then from there, you drop down into the story, the metaphor, or the analogy. Then on the back end of that, you tie the big idea, the lesson that you want them to know. How do you want them to view the problem or the solution to the problem a little bit differently back into the story? And then you tie that into a call to action. And then you wrap a bow on it and you have a really solid piece of content for your audience. All right. So you, for whatever reason, when you talk about copy, talk faster than I do and I talk fast. So I want to break down these elements really quickly because I got half of them and then I started to mix. So first, first part, a good headline and a good headline is dictated mm -hmm. by having a symptom or a problem and then curiosity into the headline. See? Mm -hmm. And yep. then after a great headline, we get into the hook. After mm -hmm. the hook, we get into like an opening, which is like a setting context, right? Basically. Yep. And then what comes after the basic opening? After the basic opening, you want to have three to four symptoms that are turned into like a mind movie. Got so oh, like, that's the mind movie part. Got it. Yeah. So instead of saying something along the lines of, do you deal with fatigue every day? It could be like, after 3 p.m., does it feel like somebody unplugged your power cord? When you wake up first thing in the morning, do you need three cups of coffee before you're able to have your very first conversation with somebody? Does it feel like you're wearing a 30-pound weight vest all day long that you just can't get off? Mm. So we're, we're, we're taking a feeling, and think of a symptom this way. Think of a symptom as something you can see, hear, feel, 
or point a finger at, right? And symptoms are actually much more powerful than the problem itself because sometimes problems, like the big problem is hard for somebody to admit to. Mm -hmm. So like if you went into a room full of alcoholics and you're like, and these are people who didn't really want to admit that they're alcoholics, you're like, hey, raise your hand if you're a boozer, if you're just a real alcoholic right now. It's like, nobody's going to raise their hand. That's a big problem to admit to, right? But like, if you went into that exact same room of people and you said, hey, who goes out like four times per week and things get a little bit grayed out towards the end of the night? Like, you don't always remember exactly what happens. Who feels like they go out with the intention to maybe just have one drink and next thing you know, you are having to Uber home late at night and you didn't anticipate or you wake up with bags of, you know, Taco Bell that you didn't even remember getting. Like, <laughs> those, are, those, are, those are symptoms of being an alcoholic but they're much easier to admit to. And what it also does too, and the beautiful part about symptomatic messaging here is that you can take a big problem and you can just ask yourself, how does not having this resolve show up in my ideal client's life? And so now you have all these different angles to talk that all drive back to the same problem. They're all a symptom of the bigger problem. And now what you're able to do is you're able to create content about all these different symptoms and they each pull in a different section of your audience, right? So like somebody may not be dealing with fatigue, but that same person might be struggling with weight loss. They might be having issues with sleep. And so what you can do is if, if, your, if your solution solves all of those, you just start looking at all the ways that them not having that solution and essentially not having that problem solved shows up in their everyday life. And suddenly you're able to cater directly to different segments of your audience that if you just posted about weight loss or just posted about fatigue, you might not actually pull in because they don't feel like you actually understand what's happening with them specifically. And then when you create a mind movie around it, what it really does is it takes it a few layers deeper and they're like, oh my gosh, that is actually how I feel. And they just feel mm. understood and heard on a different level than other people are willing to do for them. Got it. And so after you take the three to four symptoms and put it into a mind movie, and then what comes next? From there, you can drop into a story, story or a metaphor, metaphor or, or an analogy. Got it. And then... And then after that, um, you essentially tie in the big idea that you want them to know. Like, how do you want these people to view the problem that they're currently dealing with or the solution to the problem just a bit differently? And so you use the story metaphor or analogy as the vehicle to teach them about that big idea, right? Mm. So then once that's, once those are tied together and the person fully understands the big idea that you're trying to get across to them, then you're able to go into your call to action. And your call to action doesn't always have to be buy my shit. Your call to action can be drop a heart, like comment with fatigue if you feel fatigue all the day all the time or feel like you wear a 30 pound weighted vest all the time or comment below with i'm in if you want to learn more about my program but like the big thing that most people don't understand is that it's like a call to action doesn't always have to be by my shit and it shouldn't always be by my shit because what happens is that suddenly people start to develop a habit of like getting turned off by that right but you do want them to be in the habit of interacting and doing what you're asking them to do so that's why you want them to have something to do at the end of a post, but you don't always want it to be by this thing that I have that I want to sell you. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And um, so basically one, the one question I have about this, cause like I hear this and what comes up for me is like, Oh, it's so long. It's so long. It's like, no, no, no. The length of this or what goes into this has to match the context of the goal, right? Like if it's just 
to tell a short story, talk about a symptom to get somebody engaged, then it doesn't have to be six pages. And so like, like you said, as long as your story flows and it's matching the goal that you have for you and the client and you can keep them engaged, go. And so I, I feel like length kind of dictates itself, right? Is, is this effective? Does it have a good headline? Am I hitting the symptoms? I know exactly where they're going and what I want them to do. And so it doesn't matter if it's a two paragraphs or 10 pages or 20 pages or half a page. If you ask yourself, like, does it have these elements or most of these elements? Does it let my customer know or my potential customer know that, like, I understand them? Like, I see what it's like. I'm painting that mind movie. I'm really clear that I have this big idea and this golden thread. Then whatever that dose is for you is going to kind of look a little bit different. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so I would give people three other big pieces of advice when it comes to this stuff. Try to say more with less. Like the, your, your customer isn't impressed by the fancy language that you use, by the hyperbole that you include. Like that stuff doesn't do it for them. Like clear, concise copy just hits differently. You read it, you're like, oh, this is easy to read. It's simple. It's all these different things, which kind of leads me to my next point, which is your copy shouldn't try to go over the head of your ideal client. A lot of people think that by using very highfalutin words, or using words that are big and expansive and scientific based and stuff like that, that they're impressing their client. When in reality, what they're doing is they're just confusing them more and pushing them further away from making any kind of buying decision. Because at the end of the day, like a confused mind does what George? Doesn't buy nothing. Nothing, right? So the big thing there is that if you make them more confused by what you're putting out because you're using really overly complicated scientific based terms, because that's what you like, that doesn't actually make them see you as more of an authority. It makes them feel like you don't understand where they're actually at. Because by taking complicated things and making them simpler, that makes you an authority. You help them to understand something that's been confusing to them for ages. So if somebody hasn't been able to accomplish this goal on their own, they don't need you to make it more. So help get really, really simple inside of your copy. So there was a famous copywriter, I think it was, I think it was Gary Halbert could be off on that, but he said, write it, write everything at a sixth grade level. And they went, they took a lot of his uh, like sales letters and stuff. And they, once he passed, I think Gary Halbert passed away. Um, they put all of his, a lot of his copy into this thing that would dictate like what, what grade level is this stuff at? And almost all of his stuff was sixth grades or below. Like, so his copy was written at a sixth grade or below level. And he's one of the most legendary copywriters that there is in the world. Mm -hmm. So to sell millions and billions of dollars, your stuff doesn't have to be overly scientific. It doesn't have to be um, really complicated. In fact, the simpler it is, the better it is for people. Mm -hmm. And so I heard, so the three other pieces of advice, say more with less uh, and have it clear and concise. Keep it at the level of your ideal client. Was that all three or was there another one? That was all three. It might've only been two and I just- No, we'll make it three. So say more with less, make sure it's clear and concise and then keep it at the level of your ideal client. Yep. We'll call those the three golden copywriting rules. That's what we'll go with today. That's what we'll go with today. Cool. So really All quick, right. really quickly before I get into speed round of questions with you, you gave a ton of examples of symptomatic based messaging, but can you just break it down for everybody listening to this? Like what it actually means? Cause I heard you giving all the examples, but I want everybody to be like, Oh, that's what it is. Oh, that's what it is. Can you break down what mm -hmm. it means and just give a couple more examples? Yeah. So break down like exactly what symptomatic messaging is. Yes, please. So symptomatic messaging is 
when you take a look at a problem that somebody's dealing with, um, and obviously if, if you're writing about this, there's a really good chance that you have a solution to that problem. So when you look at a problem, think about how does that problem not being resolved show up in their everyday life? So is it that they wake up and the scale isn't budging? Is it that they make sure that they take off their socks before they step on the scale because they're so concerned about the scale moving, but it doesn't help? Is it that they go to the gym and they'll lose that first few pounds, um, but then afterwards, nothing budges, their you know, clothes don't get any looser, anything along those lines? Is it, and, and symptoms can also be around what they have tried that hasn't worked for them too. So it could be, do you spend hours on YouTube, Google, and have half a supplement cabinet in your cupboard just trying to figure out how to build muscle or how to lose fat? So think about what are the things that they are doing? What are the things that they're thinking? And what are the things that they're trying on a daily basis? Because this problem hasn't been resolved for them. And one exercise that everybody can do that will help you get really, really clear on this for your ideal client is to write out your ideal client's day. So literally sit back, close your eyes and just think when this person wakes up, what are they going through? What's the breakfast that they're eating? How do they get dressed? Do they shower? Do they consume the news? Do they get in their car and go to work? When they're at work, how do they feel? Are they having interactions that they don't like? Are their clothes too tight? Do they feel confident? Do they feel the ability to ask for that raise? When they go out to lunch, is there any anxiety about what they're gonna order? Um, when they get off of work, what are they doing? Are they going to the gym? Are they going straight home? Are they exhausted? Do they have energy? Are they going to do a side hustle? When they get home, what does that look like? Are they getting home and slouching on the couch for multiple hours? Are they going straight to the laptop and grinding for another four hours on their side hustle? Are they eating dinner? Are they skipping dinner? Do they stay up late? Do they snack late at night? Like when they go to bed, are they exhausted? Or are they tired and wired? And then when they wake up in the morning, do they feel exhausted or do they feel refreshed? And so if you were to map out your ideal audience that you're trying to talk to's um, day, not their ideal day, but like just their day, you would come up with a treasure trove of symptoms of what that person is dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. I, you know what? I've actually never heard you say that before, and that's such good exercise. And you said, like, map out your ideal customer's day. Like, I was saying that, and you were saying it, and I was like, oh, like, what was popping through my head? It's like when you wake up. The first thing you do, roll over, open your phone and scroll through social media while wondering why somebody else is getting your results, right? Like, do you wake up clear on where you're supposed to spend your time? I was like literally doing it, as you said. And I was like, oh, that's mm -hmm. such a good way to do that is to really. And the way that you helped me a lot when when you taught me this concept of all of it is that it was so easy for me to be like, oh, your email's broken, right? Like, or your open rates are low. But there was so much more descriptive levels that let them really know I understood like I know what it takes to pour two hours into writing an email that you know can change people's lives and nobody opens it and they're like what and so like it's a really powerful concept and I think it's worth everybody everybody paying attention to so what's your favorite food cheeseburgers Ooh, from where anywhere particular or just cheeseburgers there is a place right by where I live called 10 Barrel Brewing that has a phenomenal cheeseburger. And there's another one right across the street at, from the same place named Parkburg that also has a phenomenal cheeseburger. Does the condiments belong on a cheeseburger or is it just the burger or the bread? A hundred percent. 
You okay. know how I feel about mustard. You okay. know how I feel about mustard. This is why we're friends, by the number way. Number one comment. Okay, so I have two book. I have two book questions for you. Um, favorite uh, favorite business book of all time, and then what's a book recommendation for people around storytelling, copywriting that you would recommend? Um, so favorite book of all time, or was it a favorite business book of all time? Whichever one you want. Um, so the book that fundamentally changed my life was the book mindset by Carol Dweck, where it talks about a growth and a fixed mindset. Um, it is something that gave me a different way of trying to operate in my life. Um, that was absolutely mind blowing. the, The examples they gave fundamentally changed how I looked at the acquisition of skills and I stopped making the excuse for myself that I wasn't smart enough to accomplish anything anymore. Mm. I just saw it as a, I saw it as where I was at and where I wanted to go. The only thing standing in my way was the dedication of time and the acquisition of skills which could be, which could be done. And that fundamentally changed how I looked at almost anything in my life. Like the acquisition of skills and realizing that the chasm between the two is literally just where I'm at and where I want to go. It's just working hard enough and putting in enough um, deliberate practice to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. And that fundamentally changed how I approach everything in my life. Um, a good book on storytelling, it, it's not going to be a book necessarily on storytelling. Um, there is a book that you can only get on audio by Brene, by, uh, Brene Brown called The Power of Vulnerability. It's like an 11-hour workshop that she did where it's essentially talking about empathy the entire time. And so what most people don't understand inside of copywriting, and and you even alluded to it in this podcast, George, which is beautiful, is your ability to have empathy for the people that you are writing to try to enroll into your world is is such a massive, massive thing. Because what most people don't understand about empathy, and, and Brene Brown actually described this in the book, is that empathy is like somebody sitting in a dark room right? And so empathy, most people think is like taking a bright light and shining it on the person in that dark room and being like, Hey, I see you're over there, you know, like, um, come over here. When in reality, empathy is going and sitting with that person in the dark and saying, Hey, listen, I know the way out of here. Um, I've been where you're at. I understand where you're stuck. Like, come follow me. I actually have a better way out of here. So you're, but you acknowledge, Hey, this isn't my darkness, but I know how to get out of it. Let me help you out of this darkness. And so when I was talking a little bit earlier in the podcast about being the empathetic parent sitting on the same side of the table as them saying, listen, I get where you're coming from. I understand your struggles and it sucks. And that pain is not fun. Let me help you. Let me help you see a different way out of where you're currently stuck is, is in many regards empathy. And so that, that book is absolutely amazing because what it does is it helps you to number one, she talks not directly, but like she gives so many amazing examples of symptomatic messaging in that book where she's like, she's talking about the physical representation of, of like anxiety. And she's like, you know, tunnel vision, sweaty palms, back of my neck gets scratchy, like heartbeat feels like it's going through my chest. She just gives all these awesome examples, but it's, she describes empathy in a way that will fundamentally make you a better writer. And then there's another book called, um, I think it's called stories that stick by Kendra Hall. And she just she's amazed she's an amazing storyteller and she gives everybody um these really amazing examples in the book of stories that she helped businesses incorporate to grow to build to essentially scale and get to where they wanted but you're being really you're it's it's a very uh very meta book because you're reading a book 
about storytelling and getting stories about storytelling. And so it's really, really cool to be kind of like in, to be uh, in an inception there. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. So we have a, we have a gift for everybody that uh, we're going to mention and you're going to have to explain this one, Alex, because I want all of you to email Alex personally uh, because Alex is going to give you his absolute like world crushing headlines. How many of them are there? I think 35 plus. Yeah, 35 plus. And uh, that's all you need, by the way, because once you learn how to write a headline, you use the structure and rewrite them. And these things are absolutely liquid gold. Um, I don't know, liquid gold, maybe like typing gold, word gold. I don't know, copy gold, something like that. But Alex, you have to email him personally. So Alex, <laughs> everyone's probably wondering why I'm laughing when I say this. So Alex, why don't you tell everybody how to email you? <laughs> I hate you, George. <laughs> <laughs> but I love you at the same time. Um, cool. So just so you guys know, um, this is 100% an ethical bribe. Um, by me emailing you guys this, I will be also adding you to an email list that I'm going to be um, starting to write to once a week. Um, I don't really have anything to sell at the current moment. I'm fully booked. So I am going to be um, just literally giving you guys golden nuggets like we've had on this podcast um, through the emails that I'm sending out. However, to get it, you're going to have to email me. And my email is confusing and old and George still gives me shit about it all the time. And it's going to be in the show notes in case you don't know how to do it. So, and what's, what's funny is you have an email address, Alex at George Bryant as well. And that's really easy, but I'm going to let you go ahead and give yours. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know that I have an email with you guys. That's I fine. was never given that. We can use whatever one so, you want. All right. So it is uh, evolve, E-V-O-L-V-E-N-T. So N is in Nancy, T is in Ted period pdx at gmail.com so it's evolvent period pdx at gmail.com so i'm gonna i'm gonna spell it again so you hear it in a different voice so it's evolve e-v-o-l-v-e-n-t nancy tom dot pdx at gmail.com correct what do you want him to put in the subject line headline headline and then send them whatever whatever googly stuff you want to send them. Give them the takeaways of this episode. Give them a testimonial. Ask them to redo it. Tell them to write copy for free. I don't care what you send them. Just send them something. But put headline in the subject line to evolvent.pdx at gmail.com. Now, Alex, the final question. If you could leave anybody here with one message. And so basically, I'm making you a tattoo artist. You have a tattoo gun in your hand and you can tattoo their soul with anything that you want that they will carry forward them for the rest of their life from this episode. The only thing they're going to remember, what is parting wisdom, words of advice? What would you tattoo on everybody's soul? Tell the truth. In, in, so tell the truth, whether it is little white lies, whether it is lying by omission, whether it is false scarcity and emails, whether it is having a deadline and taking people, or whether it is the truth in terms of somebody asking you if you'll do something and in your brain you say no, but yes comes out of your mouth. Just tell the truth mm. as much as you possibly can in your life and the quality of everything that you do, the quality of people that you pull in, the quality of people who will love you and be a part of your life for as long as you want them to be will dramatically improve. And I'm saying that from a place of somebody who's working on this 100% myself and George knows about this intimately because all of our conversations don't just have to do with conversions and headlines and copy. There's a lot of ways in which George has helped me as, as a man and a human and a person um, that I'm forever indebted and grateful to him for and which is 
the reason that him and I will have a friendship for the remainder of my entire life, but it's something that I'm working on and something that I've realized how important it is to me in every facet of my life. And the more that I'm able to tell the truth in everything that I do, the better quality my life gets and the better people I attract and the more I'm able to enjoy the things that I do. So tell the truth, no lying by mission, no, no uh, leaving things out, no hearing something in your brain saying no and saying yes out of your mouth because you want to keep everybody happy. Just tell the fucking truth. Yeah, dude, that's, that has to be single-handedly one of my favorite answers to that question. And that rings so true across the board with integrity and it applies everywhere in your life and in your business. And so that was an absolutely golden nugget. So Alex, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being on the show. For everybody listening, um, shoot him some love anyways. Find him. Uh, you have his email if you can remember how to spell it and write it down. <laughs> so make sure you hit him up and say thank you. Um, but... To wrap the show, this has been another episode of the Mind of George Show. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spending all this time with us. I have copious amounts of notes, so I would highly recommend you go back and re-listen to this one. I probably have 20 to 30 takeaways alone that I'm going to reapply, and Alex writes my copy, but I'm going to do it for my own stuff that he doesn't touch because it's absolutely loaded. So have a listen, take some notes, and I'm going to challenge you to do what he said. Spend an ideal day in the life of your customer. Write it down. Document it. Put yourself in that position and implore that empathy to help you understand them. It'll help you in every area of your business, no matter what your business is. And so I will see you in another episode of the Mind of George Show. So this has been another Free For All Friday with Alex McMahon, the man in copywriting. Have an absolutely beautiful day. Remember, I will either see you in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But either way, it's time to cue the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.